Good morning, everyone. Welcome to, to Hope Church. For those watching online, uh, you can get the bulletin at explorehopechurch.org. Click on the Watch tab, and right there you'll see the information. Let me, I think that we need to flip the switch here. Sure, I was coming through. Can you guys hear me? Make sure we actually have the power on here. There. That got us. There we go. All right. There we are. Can you guys? There we go. All right. <laughs> Sorry about that, everyone. <laughs> Good old sound check. So, the key is check to make sure that everything is on before you turn the volume up. So, uh, but anyway, so now, now you can hear me. Welcome to everybody online. Uh, we are um, looking, oh man, I have to calm down after that. Uh, so so we, we're looking at our bulletin today. So if you're watching online, what I was saying while you couldn't hear my words uh, was that we are, uh, you can get the bulletin at explorehopechurch.org and then click on the watch tab and right there you'll see the, the bulletin. And if, for those here who got it off of the table, you'll look at the first full page there, and you'll see some, some new announcements coming up for the church. Uh, so the first is, I mean, this one isn't new, but we have our congregational meeting next week. Uh, in a way, it's, there's not a lot of official business that we're doing in the congregational meeting, but it's kind of casting vision coming out of this past year that's been so difficult. What does the future look like? Uh, what does what the mission of Hope Church look like and God's call to faithfulness for us as a congregation? Uh, the original plan was actually to do a meal here. Probably some of you saw that it was looking for a little while like we would have some of the lifting of some of the masks, but because we're still in an area of substantial spread, uh, that we actually uh, still have, the Darlington is still asking us to do masks indoors. Uh, but today, actually, we're going to have some coffee, a few snacks outside, so I'd encourage you to stick around for that. Uh, and then next week, that's what we'll do as well. So we'll have, we'll have our regular service, uh, then we'll have a time, and we'll have a little bit more, um, uh, some refreshments, some additional refreshments, which uh, should be nice for getting your, your energy level up again after the, the service. And then we'll have our, our uh, meeting just in here afterwards. Uh, but then... Well, looking at, at the, the future, we, the, the week after that, we have the start of our kids at Adult Sunday School. You can put that on your calendar. Um, and then in, on September 11th, and you can put a little question mark here still because we're confirming a few things, um, there's, we're gonna, going to do a, an evangelism training session with another church just up the road um, called Meadowcroft. Um, and, and so actually Jonathan and I attended this. A, a friend of mine runs it. His name is um, Shabu. Um, and if you've heard of, it's called EE, uh, Evangelism Explosion. It's a really helpful method just for sh sharing your faith in an individual conversation. I found it really useful um, for uh, myself when Jonathan and I did it recently. And so I thought, I really would love to have Shabu come and do this. He has an amazing story of uh, coming to faith. He's from India, but came to faith actually in Saudi Arabia, and then, you know, now is a, a PCA minister, but, but does evangelism training uh, with most of his time. And so, but he was looking at Saturday times, and so we couldn't actually get into Darlington on a Saturday. Uh, and so I thought, hmm, maybe we can find another place, and then I got the idea of doing it in partnership with another local church. So 
Uh, tentatively, that would be 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. on that Saturday, so it's a long session, uh, but we, we would have lunch there at Meadowcroft. Um, and, and even though it's long, and even though you might say, I don't know if I really want to do evangelism training, it's really valuable. Um, it, it was, uh, as I said, it was useful for Jonathan and me recently, and I think it would be really useful for you as well, even if you've done evangelism training in the past. So, so if you put that on your calendar, clear your schedule <laughs> for that, that Saturday, it's really worth it. Um, and then I'll confirm some details as we work with, with Meadowcroft as well. Um, and then um, finally, um, going into the, the fall, uh, we're going to start something a little bit different. So, so once a month, we're going to do a time of prayer, so more of a focused prayer gathering of Hope Church on Sunday evening. And then we'll also have a meal along with that. And so we'll see at that point whether uh, we, we have the space reserved here at Darlington to, to do that and whether we'll be able to do you know, a meal inside together at that point or we do it outside or you know the other option would be that we you know meet here for prayer and then go over to grace in my house for a meal one way or another <laughs> we're going to have a uh, we're going to have a time of prayer uh, and and yes praying for the needs in hope church but also praying for the the mission of the church the mission of the gospel uh, throughout our community and our world um, and so i think it should be good for for fellowship and just our our time together as a church. Um, and then, then also, uh, I'd mentioned that we have a, a date for our, uh, our uh, concert that we're looking at uh, with Darlington. So hopefully that will be in October. It's not yet in the bulletin, but you can be looking for that. So I think that the Sawaka girls and Brianna and Benjamin and myself will play. And it'll be another thing that we can be inviting our friends and families to as well. So I know that was a lot of announcements today, uh, but let's turn now to our time of preparation to prepare to come before our, our holy and righteous God today. So now if you'll stand with me, our, our, our call to worship begins with the, the words of making a joyful noise. And, you know, being, being summer, we have a, a smaller group here, um, and, and probably the, the joke of Presbyterians is that it's harder to make a joyful noise. And, uh, but, but like, as we read this together, just, just think of these, you know, speaking out the words, making this joyful noise to the Lord together. 
So make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the melody and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Father in heaven, we, we look forward to your judgment your judgment of the world in righteousness and equity because, Lord, we, we recognize that we're not judged on our own standard, on our own goodness, on our own merit, but we are judged fully and utterly through the righteousness of Christ, imputed to us, received by faith, Lord. And we, we come today, some of us maybe with joyful hearts uh, because of the way things have gone this week, some of us with heavy hearts, some of us with hearts that, that are not rejoicing, and so, Father, we, we pray that you would help us today to rejoice in you with this deep, abiding sense of, of hope and confidence in you, our rock and our redeemer. And so, Father, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you turn, we'll sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty.
please be seated. So our confession of sin today is taken from Psalm 130. And you'll notice that the, it, our confession and our assurance of pardon are, are the same psalm, that we're just going to pick up mid-psalm for the assurance of pardon. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the watch, more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. Continuing in Psalm 130, our assurance of pardon says, O Israel, O church, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And so turn the page, we'll sing, Speak, O Lord.
As we continue our commitment cycle, the New Testament reading today is from Matthew 2, 13 through 15. Now then, they had departed. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child, his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I shall call, I have called my son. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize that of in our exile in this present world that, that we still often struggle in various ways. And one of the struggles that, that people can face in this life is um, mental health issues. Lord, we know that there is striking rise in depression in the last... 20 years, we know that there's a rise in suicide and suicidal thoughts, and, and so many have um, diagnosed um, mental disorders or maybe even undiagnosed, Lord. We, we know that this is part of, of the world that is impacted by, by sin, Lord, that our, our bodies break down in, in different ways, Lord. We, we pray for um, the church, just for a, a faithful response when when others are struggling in these ways, Lord, we we pray for for Christ to shine in dark places and um, where there is uh, a sense of hopelessness that that the gospel would would hit even those places when people feel like uh, they are alone and that there's no reason to to go on, Lord. We. We pray that you would give strength as well to those who are supporting those who are facing mental health struggles, or we pray for, for parents and doctors and pastors and counselors and children supporting parents and, and nurses supporting patients, and Lord, the, the list could go on, friends supporting friends, coworkers supporting coworkers. Lord, we, we pray for a response that, that acknowledges the, the full-orbed Person, Lord, that we are we are all sinners, we are all sufferers, um, that our lives can be our lives can be this mix of sin and suffering, and it's hard to to piece it together to understand it. But Lord, that you would search us, that you would know us, that you would uh, discern our thoughts, Lord, um, that we would know your deep and abiding love for us in Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray for some of the forces that that drive this this rise of depression. And, mental illness, Lord, uh, whether it's social media and the abuse of social media, uh, less of a, an eternal perspective uh, where it seems that this life is all that there is. Uh, Lord, we, we ask that, that you would have mercy upon us, that you would be with us in all that we face and all that we struggle, um, and that, that as, the, as the church, that we could be the light and the beacon, the embassy of hope and and strength to the world around us, Father. And so we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And on page six, we join in the Lord's prayer and say, Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So if you grab your Bible and you turn to the, to the book of Hosea, uh, the, we are moving through this, this prophet in the Old Testament, all of the, the judgment in Hosea, all of the, the hope in Hosea that we see pictured here for us. And today we are looking at Hosea chapter 11. You probably already noticed, um, or, you, or you will notice in a moment, um, that this is probably one of the, has the most famous verse in the book of Hosea, uh, because it's quoted in Matthew chapter 2 that Jeff read for us, uh, that is part of the, the birth narrative of Jesus as, as being fulfilled. And we'll, we'll talk about that. How is it that this is fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. Um, so I'm going to read for us chapter 11, um, and really just to verse 11, because of verse 12, it picks up in a new section that we'll look at next week. Uh, if you are, don't have a Bible with you, there's a pew Bible. Um, I don't have the, the page number actually right in front of me, uh, but you could, uh, does it, if anyone has it there, you could shout it out, or you can also look in the front of the Bible, there's a table of contents there. Uh, to, for Hosea, and then go to chapter 11. Um, but the passage is also printed in your bulletin as well, so you can follow along with it there. So again, this is Hosea chapter 11, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away, they kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. How can... I give you up, O Ephraim. How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst. And I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord, and he will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west, and they will come trembling like birds from Egypt, and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes 
declares the Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the, the word that is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Guide us, we pray, Lord. We ask that the, the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Now, I'm sure that Benjamin, Brianna, Tessin Bell could talk about in classical music how often you'll have a theme that will begin at the start of the piece, and then it'll be developed throughout the entire piece, that it comes in different forms. There might be a climax of the, of the main theme. I mean, maybe even some of you have taken a music appreciation course at some point where your teacher forced you to, to listen to classical pieces and, and trace the themes for you. Or maybe you just appreciate music in general, even if you don't play, and you, and you know that, that development of a theme. But you can think about history, in a sense, as a symphony that, that God is composing himself, and that God has themes that he himself is playing out within human history, and that these themes can have repetition and development and progression to a final climax and to a finale in the end. And there are many of these themes in Scripture. They, uh, theologians will call them biblical theological themes that run throughout Scripture. And that could be a whole, you could have a whole seminary course on those themes. But one very important theme in the Scripture, and therefore in the world as it is, is this theme of exile and return. And this is what we see here today in our text in Hosea 11, that, that he is giving us an exposition on the theme of, of exile and return, and he's showing us how God has worked this theme in the past in the history of Israel, and that he's also going to work this theme in the future as well, that the, the future repetition of this theme is coming and so the first thing to look at here in the text is exile and return, and return in Israel's past. So, so look at verse 1 to 4 there in your Bible. And, and really the backdrop to those verses is the captivity in Egypt that Israel experienced earlier in their history. You remember how there was a, a famine in the land and Jacob and his sons had to go to Egypt to find grain so that they wouldn't die. And by uh, the providence of God, uh, Joseph, uh, one of Jacob's sons, had been sold into slavery into Egypt, had become number two in Egypt, had stockpiled food to survive the famine. And so to, to make it through the famine, the people of God went into exile in the land of Egypt. They fled to Egypt, and at the beginning of Exodus, it says that there arose a king in the land who did not know Joseph, and therefore the people became enslaved in the land, that they, they languished in this terrible slavery under the thumb of Pharaoh, that they, they were in exile, and they needed to return home again. And they cried out to God in their sense of hopelessness. And that's where we see this history described in Hosea 1, or sorry, uh, verse 1 of Hosea 11 here in our text. 
So look there in your Bible. It says that when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And so here the Lord is, is describing this, this early history of his people. And he's saying that he loved them, that he loved his covenant people Israel, and that he therefore called them out of Egypt. He, he led them out of Egypt through a, a mighty arm, through his outstretched arm and his, his love through the care of Moses that he sent to deliver them. And he thereby treating them as children, as, as a son of God. But then, if you think of that as the theme, there's exile, there's return, that if this were the piece of music, there would be dissonance, there would be discord. Uh, somebody is playing out of tune in this piece of music in verse 2, because it says that the more they were called, the more they went away, and they kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. And so you see there that, that it, it's, it's saying that, that this theme is beginning, but then it's interrupted because of their unfaithfulness, turning to idolatry uh, throughout the history of Israel. And then you say, well, did God give them up? Is that the end of the theme? Does the peace end at that point when the exile in return becomes dissonance again? And it says, no, that's not where God ended it. In verse 3, it says, yet I... It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them by their arms. And there you can think of a, of a parent with a toddler who can't yet walk, or, and walking, holding the child's arms so that they could practice walking. And that's what God did for, for Israel. But he says they didn't know it, that God was the one who healed them, that, that he was the one who uh, checked their, their fevers, who... Uh, gave them all of their, their medicine as a child, as it were, and they didn't know it. They didn't appreciate it. They continued to deny that God was their rock and their, their refuge, turning to, to other gods. But in verse 4, he says, I led them with the cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. And so there it switches the image from being a, a father with a child to being a loving animal owner <laughs> with his beast. And it's saying that, that here, the, this beast of burden, that, that he didn't treat it just as a beast of burden, but really as a pet that he cared for, that, that he gave them a, uh, the cords of love with not a, a terrible bridle, but they didn't recognize him as their god. And so that's where then our, this past theme, even from Hosea's perspective, is, is presented. And we, and we think about the way that this theme of exile and return is presented here in Israel's past. And we can begin to draw out a few lessons for ourselves here in the world. And I think that one of the, the first lessons that we can draw out of this first introduction of this theme is that they were in exile in Egypt under Pharaoh, and that there is an analogy of that in our own experience in the world. I mean, you probably know how even in the African-American experience that the, the, the bondage of Israel and Egypt has become has a, is an explanatory way of explaining their own story of, of slavery. 
But in scripture, it actually becomes then an image for humanity at large, that that, that is the condition of humanity, is, is slavery, is exile, bondage, alienation. And, and it's that not that we are in a, a foreign land, but yet we are separated from God, that we don't have access to the to heaven, to the, the throne room of God by our, our own strength, that we're not under the the thumb of Pharaoh, but under sin, death, the devil. And we sense this, this alienation in the world around us. I was, I was looking at some statistics. I mean, they, from for ages 10 to 24, between 2007 and 2018, that there's been a 60% rise in uh, depression. Uh, so 60%. Um, and that, that's, that's massive. Uh, but along with that is a, is a 60% rise in, in suicide among young people. Uh, there, there's a, a huge amount of just struggle with, with mental illness. Uh, there's this sense of, of alienation, I think, that, that we can all feel in different ways when you're sick or a loved one is sick or you lose your job or you, you lose a loved one or you're betrayed by a friend or you feel alone or you feel abandoned or you you see violence or you see the world isn't the way that it should be and and the response is to say is this really my home is is this really where god wants me to live Uh, is this all that there is is this the sum of my existence and we feel that sense of exile that sense of of not being fully at home and then if the answer is no, this life is all that there is, then it's clear of why the move could be to despair because so often this life doesn't deliver what we, we know on a deep level it ought to deliver, that we have this sense of what life ought to be and it's not always what it is. And so how do we, how do we wrestle with that? And with Scripture, it is this sense of, yes, we are in exile in this present world by nature. But then also... When we're in that place of exile, that sense of alienation, of despair that comes along with that, that we see the hope of verse 1 in our text, that he says to Israel, I loved him, that, that God loves us in the midst of our exile, just as he loved Israel in the midst of their exile, that, that he comes to us with the bands of love, that he guides us with his deep abiding love. And, that, and that's what it, we read in the New Testament. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he loved us in the midst of our exile, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our alienation, that that, that love was continuing strong, even when we're not fully recognizing God for who he is, that he is faithful to us. And so the, the question then for all of us is, do we know that love, that the God who says, I loved them, that I loved you, I love humanity. Do you know that deep abiding love of God, even in the exile, and that the exile doesn't negate the love of God? And so that's then this, this first theme. But getting back to Hosea 11, we see that because of this love of God, that burns for his people who are in exile, that he's not going to give up on them. And so the, this, this theme 
is going to be repeated again in the future. And so you see exile and return in Israel's future. And that's verse 5 to 11 in your Bible. And and look at verse 5. It says, They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. So here, God is, is saying, the theme is starting back at the beginning again, because you were in exile in Egypt, and now you're going to go into exile again. And this time it's going to be exile in Assyria, that the, the northern kingdom of Israel was going to be ravaged by that great kingdom from the east, was going to take them into captivity. And then eventually, a couple generations later, they're going to be taken into Babylon as well, that that return to exile is coming. And just as a, as a side note, uh, so you may notice in your, in your Bible that in, in verse 5 it says, they shall not return to Egypt, but in the ESV, the English Standard Version, uh, there's a footnote there that takes you to the margins that says, they, sh- shall, they shall surely return to the land of Egypt. And you say, well, that's the opposite, <laughs> and it's because the, the Hebrew is a little bit confusing there. Uh, but I actually think that the, the footnote there has the right reading, that they shall surely return to Egypt, and they're going to have ca- captivity in Assyria. And the reason is actually just from what we've read earlier in Hosea, because Hosea 8.13 says, they shall return to Egypt. Uh, Hosea 9.3 says that uh, they shall not remain in the land of the Lord, but Ephraim shall return to Egypt, and they shall eat unclean food in Assyria. And then finally, even at the end of this passage, it, it talks about God roaring like a lion and gathering them from Assyria and from Egypt. So it's like, how are they coming back from Egypt if they're not going to return to Egypt? Um, and so again, that's a, that's a side note. But, but I think that the point is, and, and really the point's the same whichever reading that you, you take, but it, it's saying that they're, they're going to return to exile, but, but that if, if you take it as they're returning to Egypt as well, it's saying that, that you know, the first time there was famine swept through the land, they had to flee to Egypt, return, went into exile, and here is this great nation of Syria sweeping through the land, and they're going to have to flee as exiles even into Egypt to escape an even worse threat of Assyria. And, and he's saying that they're going to then languish in exile for a time without hope, without seeming hope. In verse 7 in our text, it says, My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. But then you say, is that the end? Is that the end of the theme? Is is it a three-part theme of exile, return, exile, and then it ends there? But thankfully it's not, because look at verse 8. It says, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? He's saying, I'm, I'm not going to give up on my love for you. How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. 
I, I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God, I am God, and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. And so there you see God saying, saying I, I'm God, I'm not a man, that, that, that just a, a mere human would have come in wrath and judgment, but I'm not going to come in, in wrath and judgment, that I'm going to come to you in love, in faithfulness, in mercy. And that's what we see in verse 10, God bringing them back again from exile. It says that they shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west, and they shall come trembling like birds from Egypt. So again, they went to Egypt, and they came back from Egypt. And like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. And I just love that imagery of, of God where it says that he roars like a lion. And it, it, it reminds me of Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia, if you've, if you've read those, those books by C.S. Lewis. I just love Aslan the lion who, who represents the, the Christ God figure uh, within Narnia. And, and I think that Lewis does one of the best jobs of just capturing the, the majesty and the compassion of Christ in the character of Aslan. I always feel very moved when I read the descriptions of him in that book. But that's the, the mental image here that you can, that you can have, is, is that it says this, this lion roars, uh, but it is the, the roar of Aslan, the great lion, who is always says in, in, in Narnia, he's not a tame lion but he's good. And, and that is the same here, that, that it's the roar of a, of a God who is not a tame God, but is a good God and a merciful God. And so the, the people then, rather than running from the roar of this, this lion, come to him. They, they come before him in, in trembling, but it's not a trembling to the, to the judgment seat, but, a, but back to their home, back to full and utter restoration of all things. So, so you look at this, this description, this, this future vision of Hosea, of, of reality, of return, and you say, well, what is he describing here? Well, what he's describing, it's, it's so big and so final, it's such a big statement of the theme that it doesn't seem to be the initial return from Assyria that we see in 2 Kings 17, where a few stragglers came back from Assyria. Um, that's actually where the, if you know of the Samaritans in the New Testament, that's where they came from. Um, but they were, it ended up turning into idolatry very quickly, it was not this climactic return to faithfulness. Um, it's not return of Israel from Babylon, presumably, because even that was, was bigger and better, but that ended as well in unfaithfulness, uh, this, this sense of, no, this is not it. We're still wandering, we're still in exile, we still haven't returned returned home yet. And so what return is this describing? And it's the return that we read all the way back in Hosea chapter 1 verse 11 where it says that the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land. So it's saying that, there, that Israel, the God's people, are going to be gathered around one head and they're going to come up again from exile in this full, final way. 
Or in Hosea chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return. So there's that sense of they were coming back after exile to seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in the fear of the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And so you say, well, what then is this great return that is ultimately being pictured here? And it's the, the return of God's people from this ultimate exile under the leadership of the Messiah. So now f- fast forward 700 years to the ministry of Jesus and to the, the writing of Matthew in the New Testament. And, and I, met, I, I mentioned this at the beginning that, that we, we see a quotation from Hosea chapter 1, Sorry, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. So many ones. Where is the colon? Uh, uh, so chapter 11, verse 1. And, it's, and it says that as the wise men came to Jesus in Bethlehem, they offered gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then because they were warned into dream, they returned by another way to their land in the east, which may have been Assyria and that region, which is interesting. Um, but... They, re- they return, and of course, King Herod is furious, and so he resolves to kill all of the firstborn children in Bethlehem. And, but God warns Joseph in a dream to flee to the land of Egypt. And so Jesus, the baby Jesus, goes along with his parents into exile in Egypt to escape this wrath of King Herod. And, and Matthew says that this was, took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. Now you, you look at that, and you, and you look at the, that verse in the book of Hosea, and it seems a little bit confusing, or even a stretch for Matthew to use that text, because verse 1 is not a prophecy in any sense of that we would think of prophecy, because if you remember, he's describing the history of Israel. When it says, out of Egypt I have called my son, what Hosea is talking about is Israel as the son of God coming out of captivity the first time. It's that first theme. And so you say, well, how, how then is he saying that this was fulfilled in Jesus? It does, he didn't say, and someday there will be a Messiah who will go to Egypt and come out again. And there's a, there's a few ways to think about this, but this is where I think we start to see the importance of Hosea 11 for us today as well. Because one of the big themes in the book of Matthew is that Jesus comes as the true final Israel, that, that Jesus steps into the role of Israel, that Israel fled to safety in Egypt, and Jesus fled to safety in Egypt that God brought Israel out of Egypt. God brought Jesus out of Egypt. Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years. Christ wandered in the desert for 40 days. Israel passed through the waters of the Jordan River as they began the conquest. Jesus passed through the waters of the Jordan River beginning his public ministry. You, you can think of the the law being given on Mount Sinai to the people of Israel. Christ delivers the law again in a, 
and a, a new form and the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus then becomes the, the true Israel, uh, the, not, not just the adopted son like Israel was, but the, the, the true eternal son of God stepping into the role of unfaithful Israel to be faithful in all the ways that they couldn't. And so when you think about it in, in that light, then you see what, what's happening in Matthew 2, that it's not that he's misreading Hosea 11.1, uh, but he's actually reading the whole chapter. He's putting it in its context because the whole point of Hosea is that here's a theme that God has played in the past, exile and return, and he's going to play this theme again in the future. And what Matthew is saying is that this theme that was played in the past is beginning to be played again in the ministry of Jesus, that he's, he's repeating the theme. He's going to Egypt. He's coming back. But then ultimately, he, he goes to exile and death on the cross. But then he comes again and returns and, and resurrection life. And what, what Jesus does through his life, death, and resurrection then is, is he's playing the theme again, bringing back his people from exile, um, geographical exile, but it, we discover that it's even bigger than that, that, that the, ro- the lion roars, the gospel goes forth to the nations. And, and the picture then is, is every tribe, every tongue, every nation being gathered from, from Assyria, from Egypt, even from America, from, from the world at large. That's Revelation 5, that by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and that you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's the great final statement. But then as we wrap up here together, I think that we can kind of pull that lofty theme of God and history, and, and there's a beauty in that, but then you look at your life and you say, well, how does this theme play out in our lives individually. And this theme of exile and return is a theme that God is not only playing on the stage of human history to reach its culmination in the gathering of the nations to Christ in the final ex- true exodus, but he's playing this theme in your life and my life as well. That I already talked about that sense of exile and alienation that we can all feel on such a deep level. And that, that, that Christ comes to us and he, he loves us. He calls us out of that place of exile to himself. He says, come and follow me. Put your trust in me. And so we, we follow him out of, out of exile. But then I think that we can be afraid at some point that, that the theme for our lives is not going to be the theme that is repeated here in Scripture. That we're worried that our theme is going to be the exile return exile, and then we're just going to end there because we say, well, God brought me out of addiction, but, but maybe I'm just going to fall into that again. God helped deal with my anger problem, but, but maybe I'm going to fall into that again. You know, God helped me here be more a faithful spouse or more faithful parent, but am I going to fall back into that again? God gave me faith, and I'm trusting him today, but but I know that I'm, you know, as we, we sing and come thou found, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And, and maybe that's what you feel, that you are prone to wander. So are you going to end up again in exile with no hope? 
And that's where we read in the New Testament that God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. That yes, there are days, there are years, there are weeks where we continue to small ways to wander back into exile, to, to seem to be repeating that theme of Israel, bringing dissonance into the theme of God that he's playing in the world. But the great promise here in our text is that in Christ, it is the theme of return that gets the last word, that there is this final hope. And that, that, that hope of final climactic return is on offer to us in Christ, holding on to him. Um, I mentioned that evangelism training that, that Jonathan and I did that we're going to have as well on September 11th. And one of the images I thought was, was so strong was, was this image of Christ as this life preserver, that we're, we're in an ocean drowning. Uh, you can think of that as our exile in the world. Uh, that we might be holding on to a, a piece of wood or something, or just trying to swim on our own, and that that God comes up in you know, the, the the lifeguard boat, and He throws us this life preserver, which is Christ, and He says, "Stop swimming, stop trying to hold on to the things of this world to to get you through. That you are in exile in the water. You're not going to make it there." But as long as you hold on to Christ, don't let go of him, he's going to pull you all the way through the water into the ship. And you know that with complete certainty because it's sealed in the blood of Christ and the promises of God. And it's that great return that we see here symbolized and, and sealed in this meal. That we, we return to this meal every week because we have a, a sure hope and a and a sure promise that, that yes, some of, us, some of us, and probably all of us in some ways, have had these little returns to exile where we are trying to do things our way rather than God's way. And, and even if you consider yourself a Christian, that it could be that today you have profound bitterness in your heart against someone. And, and Scripture says that there could be times where we leave our gift at the altar, do business with the Lord, and then come again. And and so even for believers, there could be times where you, you may not take this because you know that you have to, to, to do some business with the Lord. Um, but I think for the majority, we come as those who are, who are weak, who are, are fragile. And we're saying, Lord, I feel the exile. I feel the desert wandering. I feel this isn't my final home. I, I, I feel the struggles I, I know that, that life doesn't always give everything that I wish it would, but yet I'm holding on to that life preserver, that I'm holding on to Christ. I hear the roar of the great lion that is calling me to himself, and I'm going to, to keep holding on, keep feeding on Christ by faith as he pulls me to safety by his love and his grace. Now, if you're here and you're, you're not holding on to Christ, if you are, are, have not yet heard the call of return to, to follow Jesus, to be led up out of uh, this spiritual Egypt into new life. Uh, we're thankful you're here. We'd encourage you to, to wait, to not take this meal, because uh, it would be more damaging and it would be a form of hypocrisy rather than doing good. Uh, but for the rest, you don't have to be a member of Hope or a Presbyterian church, but to be one who is trusting in Christ, holding on to Christ, looking to him, not your own goodness, not your own merit, not your own righteousness. And and coming here with a sense of need and dependence, saying, Lord, bring me all the way from exile to return by your 
love and your mercy. And you've, and you've made your faith public by being baptized, by being a church that preaches the, the gospel. Um, now, um, and really one who can profess your faith uh, using the, the words of the Nicene Creed. This is on page 8 in your order of worship. So if you turn there with me, we'll read this uh, together. This great repetition every week of the, the core beliefs of what we hold together as we come to this meal. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures, ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Because on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he says, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup, said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So come forward. Whenever you're ready, bring your cup back to your chair, and we'll take it together. Let's pray together. Um, Father in heaven, we thank you for the great climactic exodus that we enjoy in Christ. And Lord, we, we know the exile of this world. We may not have been exiles in a foreign land, but Lord, we know that, that we are exiles in a world that is filled with sin and sorrow and pain and sickness and hardship in so many ways. Uh, and Lord, we, we don't want to to lose sight of the hope and the joy of this life, which is real. Um, but Lord, we also don't want to just assume that this is our final home, that to think that our exile is all that there is, Lord. But we ask that you would keep our eyes fixed on our eternal hope, Lord, the, the final return of exile that uh, began in Christ as he came up out of Egypt himself as the true Israel, um, and but then came up out of um, death on the cross to, to guide us with himself. And so, Lord, we, we pray that we can come up with Christ out of the exile of our, our patterns of sin, and our patterns of addiction, our patterns of selfishness, and, 
And Lord, let us hold on to him and, and be dragged. <laughs> Sometimes it feels as if we're being dragged, but, but pulled lovingly by our, our Father um, to the throne of, of grace, Lord. And, and so we, we hear the, your roar, uh, this great roar of love of our God, who is not tame but is good. Uh, Lord, we, we look to you for all of our hope, all of our stay, all of our confidence to nothing else in this world, Lord. We, we abandon all hope, all trust in anything that's not you, uh, because you alone have the words of eternal life. And so we pray in Christ's name alone. Amen. body of Christ, broken for you, take and eat. The blood of the covenant shed for the forgiveness of sins. Stand. Turn to page nine. We'll sing Amazing Grace.
appreciate you all being with us. Uh, Sharon gave me this note during communion. She was saying that she has more, you have more squash and, uh, is it, what is it, squash and tomatoes uh, out on the table there. So grab some, and it's probably fresh out of the garden, right? So, so be sure to grab some on the way out. Uh, and I mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, but there were some loud noises, so in case anyone didn't hear, uh, that we, we're having some coffee after the service, so it'll be right, right outside there, so go out and then to the left. Um, and so, so that direction, uh, there's a few, a few refreshments, some coffee, um, and so we can enjoy that time. Um, and uh, as I said as well, Darlington is still asking us to keep our masks on in the building, but we'll be able to enjoy that out there. Um, and uh, here now, though, the, the Lord's benediction as you prepare to, to go out into the, the world and knowledge of the hope that you have in the return of exile. It says that may, the God, may God fill you with, uh, with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Thank you.